We are back. Michael Rupert, our guest on this segment, was a former member of the Los Angeles Police Department. He worked in the Narcotics Bureau and uh, ran afoul of uh, personnel down there. He never had a blemish on his record, but he ran afoul of some of the people that ran the LAPD when he felt that there appeared to be some evidence that there was cocaine traffic moving through the area with these people's blessing. Anyone who's followed the Iran-Contra story knows that uh, that appears that such things were indeed going on. In the past few years, Michael Rupert's website, From the Wilderness, has been devoted to looking into what is going on in the political scene in America and uh, probing into deep politics, as it's been described by Professor um, Peter Dale Scott of UC Berkeley. Uh, Michael Rupert certainly has delved into deep politics in a big way, and he's here today to talk a little bit more about what he started to tell us about a few weeks ago. Welcome back, Mr. Rupert. Thank you. Good to be with you again. Um, a couple weeks ago, you talked about Condi Rice and um, and the statement she made that cannot, uh, cannot withstand much scrutiny, and I want to do a little bit broader look today at some of the other things that have been going on with this Bush administration as regards 9-11. And you're, you're the expert. <laughs> I'm one of many. One thing I wanted to start with, some, some, uh, before, she, before she spoke before Congress, uh, William Rivers Pitt suggested some questions that might have been asked to, to Ms. Rice. And his first one was, on September 11, 2001, you were slated to deliver a speech describing national missile defense as the cornerstone of American foreign policy. Mm-hmm. No mention of Osama bin Laden. The White House then refused, subsequently refused to release the text of that speech to 9-11, the 9-11 Commission. Um, I note in Al Franken's book, he noted that uh, that when people asked for a few hundred million uh, in the government concerned individuals to invest that in counterterrorism, uh, Don Rumsfeld was quite miffed that uh, this might be taken from the tens to hundreds of billions of dollars that are being invested in missile defense. Can you talk about missile defense versus counterterrorism? Well, you know, the, the, the whole question of missile defense is, 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 is one that's very hard to get your head around because, number one, one has to... Uh, assume that there is a uh, state uh, out there that has the technological and financial capabilities to really threaten American technology. And, of course, the only possible state out there at this juncture would be uh, Russia with China a a close second. There is some information uh, out there that has been surfacing recently, which is like vague, let's put it, or it's not complete showing that Russia has made some technological advances, but then you have to get to the question of motive. I mean, why is someone threatening a you know, massive nu- nuclear attack, uh, a la the, the kind that we were anticipating in the 1960s you know, and 70s, as, right. I, as, as I was growing up? Like, where is that coming from, and where is the threat? Uh, uh, I, for one, in, uh, in my research over the years, kind of believe that what, uh, what Star Wars, uh, under the Reagan administration and this continuation of it, is is nothing more than a boondoggle to conceal very secret black black budget research on extremely high tech uh, weapon systems that really don't have to do with missile defense, but they're camouflaged in the uh, uh, missile defense budget. There are also enormous corporate handouts for companies like Lockheed Martin, uh, SAIC, Grumman, Northrop, uh, Raytheon, so on and so forth. But uh, it's like where was the threat? I mean, we had a, a enormous documented threats from Al Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. During 2001, I haven't seen any major threats, uh, you know, put forth uh, showing that actually North Korea was close enough to uh, uh, warrant this kind of expenditure, uh, or you know, from China or Russia. 
We've asked on this show on, on numerous occasions, how could a missile uh, shield in space, even if it worked, which which I don't believe any reputable scientists believe that it can, mm-hmm. how would that have protected us from uh, from 25 men or 20 men armed with box cutters on September 11th? It wouldn't. Another question that I think would be worth asking is, um, if, na- if outgoing National Security Advisor Sandy Berger warned Rice that Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda would be the most important issue in the Bush administration and left a massive file on the subject, how, how, can we, uh, how can we address the issue that file was admittedly unread until September 11th? Well, you can't, and, and that's an issue on which no one in the Bush administration has been firmly pinned to the mat. Uh, the answers were vague and evasive. Uh, they didn't address uh, a number of documented threats, which apparently some people in the, in the administration took quite seriously. When you had John Ashcroft uh, stopping to fly commercial airliners as a result of a threat in the summer of uh, 2001, uh, you had the Joint Chiefs changing travel plans right before 9-11. So clearly some people were taking al-Qaeda threats seriously, but you have yet to see any kind of uh, real serious response anywhere from the Bush administration. Well, I mean, uh, George Bush told Bob Woodward when he wrote the book Bush at War that he felt no sense of urgency about the terror threat. So it seems quite at odds with what the, the revisionist history now being offered. That's correct. Where is Andy Sipowitz when you need him? You've got to get these people in the room, hit them with the documents, and don't give them any room to run. And that's not being done. Well, uh, you've been talking about this for quite some time, and, and I think that the mainstream media has been uh, really loath to go where you've gone. But in, in the past few months, uh, it seems they're, they're coming around and, and substantiating many of the claims that you have been making all along. Could you, could you enumerate some of those for us? Well, uh, clearly with the research, and I should say that From the Wilderness was the first to break almost all of these stories. We were on this uh, the week of, in fact, the, uh, the first attacks. We started deconstructing the government's position. You know, we have uh, very uh, egregious violations of FAA, uh, U.S. Air Force, NORAD protocols in the scrambling of fighter jets on September the 11th, whereas we know that 67 times in the calendar year prior to 9-11, fighter jets were scrambled routinely and efficiently within minutes of, of a uh, commercial or general aviation aircraft under IFR instrument flight rules going off course, not answering a radio call, not uh, missing a turn. Uh, not uh, hitting a transponder when told to do so. Now, could you go over that again? That's 67, you say? 67 times. This is from the Associated Press. And in what period of time before 9 in, in, in the calendar year, before calendar 911, year. Uh, when a commercial airliner didn't make radio contact at a certain point, uh, failed to make a turn according to its flight plan, deviated from altitude either you know, in, in any dimension, failed to respond to a radio request or did not hit what's called a transponder, which is a button they push at a frequency which makes them light up on a radar screen. Uh, The FAA protocols are exceedingly clear. If uh, two or more of these conditions exist, you shall assume that emergency exists. In other words, a hijacking has occurred. On 9-11, not only did we have all of these things taking place, we have uh, every commercial airliner has on the control yoke a button. I believe it's a 7500 uh, frequency, it's 74, 75, or 76, which is a, a button that the pilot pushes, yeah. which instantly identifies the aircraft as having been hijacked, and that just, you know, that, that just sends the whole system into immediate knee-jerk emergency response. And yet no fighters were scrambled in some cases 20, 30, and 40 minutes after these events had taken place. Uh, but 67 times in the year prior, the fighters were scrambled immediately. So what happened? We have no answer to that question in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we have the massive insider trading. 
We have the very detailed forewarnings from foreign intelligence services to the White House, which uh, to, to the White House and the U.S. government, uh, high-level intelligence agencies, uh, that were very specific as to date, time, place, location, and personnel involved in the hijackings. I mean, there are so many holes in 9-11. We have massive insider trading. None of these have been explained, and no one has forced the administration to explain these anomalies on 9-11. I guess we have to ask you the question, how do you put this together? Well, I'll say what I've been saying uh, pretty much all along. I, I had two stages in my evolutionary process here. The initial one, which began immediately on 9-11, when I saw the second airliner hit the World Trade Center. Uh, I knew immediately that that could not have happened unless the U.S. Uh, military wanted it to happen. Um, and I will be uh, discussing that in great deal in my forthcoming book on the subject. But clearly, um, uh, when you backtrack and piece the information together, it's, oh, my God, uh, they knew that the planes were hijacked a long time before anybody admitted it. I have a detailed timeline on that. They could have stopped the second plane any time they wanted to through normal scrambling, or, in fact, there's a U.S. Navy ship so right there in Brooklyn Navy Yard that have uh, identify friend or foe shoot-down capabilities that could have brought down the second flight uh, and did not do so. Um, so my first stage of evolution was the U.S. government wanted this to happen or allowed it to happen, as was very well documented now in the case of the Pearl Harbor attack in December of 1941 which we now know the Roosevelt administration allowed to happen to provoke U.S. entry into World War II. By, by the way, I would say that I, when, I, when, I, when I approached a, a historian here at our university with pretty much that line of reasoning that how can it be denied at this point, she, uh, she said that's not what historians accept at this point, this, this many decades later, which I thought was interesting. She needs to do some reading. There's a great book by a man named Stinnett called Day of Deception where he produces the actual... Uh, Army Security Agency and other uh, messages showing that we had broken the Japanese codes and knew absolutely well that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor and allowed it to happen. The historian also could not uh, dispute, uh, and we have these documents on our website. You can uh, go to fromthewilderness.com. Uh, we have a great search engine. Type in Operation Northwoods, and it will take you directly to declassified top-secret documents from 1962 signed by General Lemnitzer, who was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And these documents uh, called for the shooting down of American aircraft, the attack of American, uh, American military bases and uh, installations, and blaming those attacks on Fidel Castro for the purpose of starting a war with Cuba. So you can't say that this is not something that hasn't been conceived of before. Critics would say that that's just something that, uh, for a talking point in, in, as a possibility. Well, it certainly shows that the mindset is extant and that it has been considered before. Yeah. Uh, and as a result of uh, my investigations, first of all, I began deconstructing the U.S. government's position. And then in the summer of 2002, uh, I really went into some detailed research, I mean, involving uh, literally uh, almost 1,100 footnotes, uh, which will be in my book, uh, which literally convinced me that not only had the U.S. government stood back and allowed the attacks to happen, they had actively facilitated them as a player before they happened. Uh, and we have a number of uh, damning quotes that would be great testimony in a courtroom uh, from people like Zbigniew Brzezinski, who wrote in 1997, uh, without an attack on the order of Pearl Harbor, the American people would not support the, the imperial mobilization necessary for the U.S. government uh, to control Central Asia and the Middle East. Uh, a number of quotes from the project of uh, for a new American century, which also referred to a Pearl Harbor-like attack. 
that's establishing motive, but then I have uh, gone further to establish uh, intelligence covert operations moves which indicate that the U.S. government was actively keeping many of the so-called hijackers in circulation, in effect, so that they could be available to perpetrate or to carry out the legend, if you will, of the attacks on 9-11. There was serious foreknowledge, and now we have documented criminal uh, activity showing what what you might call an accessory before the fact. Well, in making these claims, you're certainly going a step beyond what what one can find anywhere in the mainstream media. What do you think it would take for uh, conventional sources to adopt your viewpoint? Well, this is as much a psychological and emotional issue as it is anything else. I mean, all of my research is uh, is uh, pretty much irrefutable. I mean, I've academically footnoted everything. My, I'm not making up the sources. In many cases, I'm using actual government records or reports from uh, mainstream credible media, uh, which is a matter of, uh, it's become kind of a cliche now, connecting the dots, uh, which, uh, which now the government says, gee, we should have, and I'm saying, well, I have, and here they are, uh, and they make a very clear case. Uh, I asked an interesting question in Germany in uh, September of 2003 when I was lecturing there on 9-11. I asked uh, the German audience, at what point did the German people stop supporting Adolf Hitler? The answer that I got was pretty much unequivocal. They said uh, it was after Stalingrad when many of their sons started coming home in body bags and coffins from Russia. They didn't have body bags then. Uh, and when the German economy started to fall apart. Uh, and, gee, uh, now we have close to 700 uh, U.S. fatalities in Iraq, which is uh, disintegrating faster than we can possibly imagine. Uh, an ongoing guerrilla conflict in Afghanistan, pending conflicts in West Africa, possibly Saudi Arabia, and now in Venezuela. Uh, and, of course, we've just had a U.S. coup in Haiti. So the the military picture is disintegrating rapidly. So I think uh, maybe we're crossing uh, that little ru- Rubicon right now. Do you think that the House of Saud is, is the greatest concern here in the Middle East? No. Again, I see that the House of Saud is being deliberately demonized by financial interests uh, in the U.S. Uh, yes, there were Saudis involved in 9-11. Yes, there were people like Khalid bin Mahfouz and Prince Turkey uh, who ran the Saudi intelligence who were connected to Osama bin Laden in one way or another. But 9-11 was not a Saudi state-sponsored event. The reason why, and From the Wilderness has been extremely successful now for six years, but especially since 9-11 in, in predicting uh, months and sometimes a year or more ahead of time how things were going to develop. And I, and I say that that's because what we have is the map that the world is following. That map is governed by one overriding fact, now acknowledged by CNN, by BBC, by ABC News, Wall Street Journal, major publications, uh, stories have come out in the last three months. The world is starting to run out, or supplies of hydrocarbon energy have entered into a peak of irreversible decline, where world demand is now growing at about 6% a year with the burgeoning economies of China, India, the Far East, and the U.S., because we have to have growth in the U.S., a 6% a year growth, but declining hydrocarbon energy supplies of 2% or more, or more per year. 60% of all the recoverable oil on the planet is in the Middle East. Uh, smaller supplies in West Africa, Colombia, Venezuela uh, provide elasticity and quick delivery to U.S. gas tanks. But I have said now consistently since, this would be since November or December of 2001, 
that what we are witnessing, this war that Dick Cheney said will not end in our lifetimes, is a sequential war to control the last remaining oil and gas reserves on the planet. And we've been following that map perfectly. That's the, that's the overriding governing concern here. Well, I, I would certainly confirm you have been talking about this for some time and that in recent months we are now seeing this, this, this issue creep into the mainstream media. Absolutely. We don't want to sugarcoat this. What, what, you're, what you're proposing is that the United States government let 9-11 happen. And helped it happen. It's an explosive charge. And that uh, people are going to, for such, you know, extraordinary uh, claim, people are going to demand, um, you know, some extraordinary proofs. But the fact that you've predicted numerous things that have, that have come true, I think, uh, would indicate to, to an observer that you're on the right track. Can you go through some of those things in the past few months that you have said you expect to see and that have then materialized? Uh, one of the most enjoyable ones was that in, uh, uh, I would say it was October, perhaps November of last year, I said that John Kerry would be the Democratic Party's nominee at a point when he was dead last in the polls. That's really? on the website. Okay. Uh, and uh, what prompted me to say that was when I saw that Rand Beers, uh, President Bush's uh, top counterterror advisor, uh-huh. had suddenly resigned the Bush administration and got, gone to work for John Kerry's campaign. Now, there's a much deeper story, but I could, the, the, the simple explanation is that I said, oh, there's the transition team moving into place. I, move, I, I view the presidency as nothing more than something analogous to a corporate CEO who can be hired and or replaced or fired by the board of directors, which in this case is uh, Wall Street banks, uh, the, major, the stock markets, and the oil companies. Uh, George Bush has become very bad for business. He's basically pissed off the whole world. And uh, John Kerry I see as someone who will be basically follow the same agenda as George Bush with better theme music, uh, but Kerry has been very clear that he's going to add two divisions to the U.S. Army. The, uh, the, the draft is likely coming. He will fight the war on terror better. Some of the other things we have predicted uh, more than a year before they happened was that uh, this infinite war was going to move into West Africa. Now, that's been below the radar screens of most American media, but we've documented it uh, abundantly on the From the Wilderness website. NATO has announced a shift in priority uh, from uh, Europe to West Africa. Major insurgent conflicts are starting to erupt all throughout the West African uh, coastline, which has become an extremely important secondary source of oil, the reason being is that it takes six weeks to get a drop of oil from the Persian uh, Gulf into an American gas tank, and only two weeks from, let's say, Nigeria or Cameroon, uh, much, much quicker to build up supply, short-term supply. Uh, major investment projects in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, and we and we said that all this was coming. That U.S. military involvement in West Africa was going to increase, and indeed it has. We've I should I should interject at that point that there is this very interesting case of a plane of mercenaries apparently headed for I guess Gabon or Equatorial Africa. It's not clear. Stopped in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. That originally started, I believe, in Kenya. That that's that, that there's a whole long legacy about this uh, particular 727, which originated in Texas. And this goes part and parcel with the CIA's long-standing, well-documented, going back to Vietnam and even before, practice of using mercenaries or special forces troops to arm uh, guerrilla insurgencies in different regions to foment com- conflicts, which later call for U.S. military intervention for strategic reasons. Uh, so this is not unusual at all. We, we predicted that. We predicted that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia was going to become increasingly unstable, and this was long before the major bombings of last year. <clears throat> and we see this growing 
if you will, vilification of the Saudi regime, which is extremely unstable at present. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia is borrowing money. They're having trouble servicing their massive uh, domestic programs inside. We've just seen stories in the, in the uh, New York Times and some major controversy, I mean very serious, which is threatening the financial markets, that Saudi Arabia may actually have peaked in production. And that's 25% of the oil on the planet. Mm-hmm. If Saudi Arabia has peaked, statistically, the planet Earth has peaked which means a further confirmation of this peak oil scenario. Uh, and it's very easy, and, and we saw major confirmation come out in some documents, a few documents, that were released as a result of a Freedom of Information Act suit from Vice President Cheney's National Energy Policy Development Group, which met in secret uh, for the first five months of the Bush administration, right. showing that they had mapped out that what they were discussing in there was not how to en- Enron was going to divvy up the spoils with mobile, what they were mapping out was, where's the last oil left and what do we have to do to go get it? And that's why Dick Cheney does not want to release those documents, and that's a major constitutional battle. We've predicted increasing uh, conflict around Venezuela, and there's been huge... Uh, of course, we had the coup in, Cade, in, in Haiti, which is a part of that. How does Haiti intertwine with uh, Venezuela? Well, if you look at a map, Haiti is in a perfect midpoint between the southern Florida coast and the Venezuelan coast. Okay. If the U.S. government has plans to invade Venezuela which, uh, or try to stage another coup in Venezuela to overthrow Hugo Chavez, uh, it cannot afford to have a sympathetic regime in its rear area uh, behind military operations taking place on the South American continent. Seven Special Forces now is virtually running uh, Colombia uh, and massive uh, increases in U.S. military support uh, throughout the region in Peru, uh, Bolivia, uh, have been underway since 9-11. And Chavez made it very clear in a Reuters article, and I I will quote the Reuters article. He said, uh, Venezuela is not Haiti, and Chavez is not Aristide, and he called Bush, quote, an asshole in the Reuters story, and said, if the U.S. tries another coup to overthrow me, I will shut off America's oil from Venezuela. And I just lectured recently at, uh, at a university in Charleston, South Carolina, and I showed a story that immediately after Chavez made that announcement, the Chinese government, went to Venezuela and began negotiating with Hugo Chavez to purchase all of Venezuela's oil. What do you see coming up June, July, August? What, what, if you're going to go on record, what do you think? Uh... Well, it's, it's going to be a very dramatic with lots of smoke mirrors, fireworks, barking dogs, uh, jumping frogs, etc., uh, presidential campaign. That's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I think as, as many deeper issues are not going to be addressed. It's going to be a time of increased volatility. Watching the the markets, watching very severe um, restraints in global oil supply and oil prices rising, we may have some dips and peaks as peaks as some smaller fields uh, come online. Uh, but looking at the economic picture with the trade deficit, anything can happen between now and November. Uh, I, for one, have questions as as to whether the U.S. can actually hold the economy together until the election. Uh, so, uh, you know, the election to me is kind of of secondary importance until or unless we can force the American people and the political parties to address the issues of peak oil and U.S. government complicity in the attacks of 9-11. Those are the real issues, and 2005 looks to be just a horrible year for planet Earth as a whole. I think the draft will, will be back here in the U.S. sometime in 2005. Yeah, there's an interesting article you have on your website on that very issue, which I think would concern uh, students here at our university and students of draft age everywhere in the U.S. 
Yeah, the numbers make it absolutely unavoidable when you look at uh, uh, the fact that we already have a de facto draft in place right now in the, in the fact that 70,000 personnel, both regular military and reserve and guard, have been held over past their departure dates by what are called stop-loss orders, uh, which are basically an Ill illegal form of imposing a draft. And we have more conflicts coming on the plate, and of course we've, we're all watching what's happening in Iraq as the casualty numbers just go through the roof. So uh, uh, we are in for some very difficult times. 2005 is, is, is going to be, I think, much like 1968 was in American history. All right. Well, Michael Rupert, thanks so much for coming back and talking to us. Any final, uh, any final words you'd have to say by, in way of summary for our listeners? Well, uh, clearly I think we have to find out what the most important issues are to address, and we, we cannot afford the luxury of denial. We have to start asking the hard questions now while we have a window to do it. Uh, we have to not be afraid of what the answers are, because if we don't deal with the real issues, uh, we're not solving it. All, all we're doing is rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. All right, and once again, your website for people that want more information, I'm sure there'll be many. www.fromthewilderness.com All right, Michael Rupert, thanks so much for coming back. Thank you. It is always interesting talking to Mr. Rupert. We hope that he will return to our show in the future, and I'm optimistic that he will do so. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.